All right, I have two quick announcements before we start our awesome new series. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Uh, first announcement is Sunday night service. Consider, uh, pray, ask God if he would have you be a part of what we're doing on Sunday nights. It's the same service as our morning service, um, but we have this little building and not enough room for everybody at 1030. So we'd love to see some of you uh, Go to that evening service, invite friends there, become a part of the congregation there during the evening time. So it's a five o'clock service, same service that we have in the morning, um, but we just tend to have more seats at 5 p.m. And if you make that shift, then we can open up more seats for folks here in the morning service. The other thing we want to announce to you is the partnership class that comes September 29th is when that starts. So just in a few weeks, if you're interested in joining with us here, partnering with us in ministry in this local congregation, we'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like. Um, membership is really pretty simple here, but we find with so many people coming and going where we are here in Colleen that it's helpful to have the class to help people to kind of understand and make sense of that. If you want to read on your own, uh, all the descriptions you need to know about our membership philosophy is on our website. It's in our constitution, uh, but we also want to kind of walk with you through that and, and explain that with you and get to know you personally. If you're interested in doing that, that's what that class is for. So it's just a four-week class, Sunday nights. 6.30 to 8 p.m. All right, our new series is called Collide. We're going to be studying the Psalms together. So if you can open up your Bible to the Psalms, and if you don't have one, you can grab one under the chairs. It'll be page 448 uh, in the Bible there under the chair. Psalms are kind of halfway through. The Psalms are the corporate worship book of the Old Testament and of the Bible, and we're excited about this series that we're going to be jumping into here. We're going to start with Psalm 1 today. I'm going to preach through Psalm 1. We're going to make some specific applications out of Psalm 1, but I'm also going to kind of try to tie in some insights from an overview of what the whole book of the Psalms is about. So we'll be in the Psalms for the next year, and even preaching through it for a year, we'll get through about a third of the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms. So uh, anyway, we'll try to give you an overview of what's going on there. If, if you can see, the artwork there is kind of this journey. We've got a road that's washed out. We're, we're on this journey in life that God is taking us on, uh, but sometimes we collide with reality. Things don't go the way we expect. And so if you can see the subtitle there on, the, on this title side, it says, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. Some of us are truth people. Uh, we're terrified of emotion. Some of us are emotion people. We're terrified of truth. And in the Psalms, it brings these two things together. These two worlds collide. The reality we live in on an everyday basis, colliding with the heavenly reality of who God is. The reality of our own emotions, our ups and downs, colliding, meeting with the reality of the truth that God wants to teach us. And so that's going to be our journey for the next few months. Uh, As I said, we're going to start with Psalm 1. If you'll follow me, I'll, I'll read here, and we'll see what God has for us. Psalm 1 says... Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm is the doorway 
into the Psalms. This is the gatekeeper psalm, some people call it. It invites us to make a choice. Am I going to walk with God's people? Am I going to make that commitment to have that collision on a daily, moment-by-moment basis of bringing who I am, the world that I live, into collision with the reality of who God is and what He has to say about the world? This is giving us the option. It's saying there's two ways to go. And true happiness, true blessedness is going to be in following this way. It's the invitation to us to to come into the doorway, to enter into this journey, to begin living this way, the way that the Psalms uh, invite us to live. Two observations I want to make about the entire book of the Psalms, and then we'll we'll pray and ask God to kind of help us today. But just two observations. One is that uh, when people are going through horrible, horrible times in their life, this is the book that people go to. And so our own individual pain our own struggle, just us and God, this is the book that seems again and again to be most helpful. It's also the book that Christian counselors use the most because of that reason. It's the book that Christian counselors go to again and again to help walk with people through difficult times. And then, of course, it's the songbook of the Bible. it's, It's the songs that we sing. Many of the contemporary songs that we sing, many of the ancient hymns that we sing, are merely psalms translated into a modern song for us to sing. And so we see that whether it's at a very individual level on your own, whether it's with a counselor, whether it's in a small group, whether it's in a formal corporate worship setting, in all of these areas, in all of these settings, God is challenging us with the psalms to come honestly before him, to bring our stuff, our struggles, our pain to him, and to declare who he is, declare what we're going through, and to walk with him in this journey. That's the invitation that Psalm 1 is making as well. Let me pray for us, and we'll start looking at Psalm 1 in more detail. God, we thank you for uh, your book. We thank you for what you've given us in your word here, and we ask that you would help us to live it. Uh, we thank you that you're good. And God, you know, you know our struggle. You know that we hurt. You know that we have ups and downs. Um, God, I don't know every struggle that's in this room, but I know this room is full of pain and full of struggle. So God, we pray that on this journey, you would help us to be people that honestly share that with you and with others, and honestly take the time to listen to who you are, what you say, and to even declare it back to you, to our own hearts, to each other. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was thinking about the whole concept of collide. We, among the staff, we argued a lot about, like, is it okay to use that term? Because that's kind of a negative term, right? When you think of collision, you think, you know, something blowing up, right? A car wreck or something. Um, And what I wanted to do is I wanted us to live with the tension of what the Psalms is asking us to do. And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering by way of illustration, I think that'll help you to kind of see the positive and the negative of this. I was remembering the first time I played tackle football. It's football season here, right? You know, the, it's not really cool, but it is that time of year. It's time for football to start happening. Any of you ever watch football on uh, TV? Anybody? Some of you? A few of you. Okay. And the rest of you are lying, right? Or do you just not watch football? Well, anyway, the, the first time I played football, I was probably, probably six years old, but I can just remember the rush of getting to run full speed and smash into another human. I mean, that is, there is nothing like that. And when you're six, it basically doesn't hurt, right? I mean, when you're six, you're just all like mush and cartilage, and you just, bam, fall on the ground, brush yourself up, 
off, get back up, and you're like, all right, I'm ready to go again. That was awesome. I loved that. I loved this sport. And I can remember transitioning as I got older from those first collisions that really were completely painless to it started to hurt a little more as I got older. Um, I remember specifically going into high school football. I was kind of one of the big ones in junior high and then didn't grow anymore, so then I wasn't so big in high school. And I can remember facing an older player as a freshman in high school who was probably a junior or senior, and he was much, much denser than I was. Um, He was also much faster than I was, and so that's kind of the physics formula for, for force, right? And so I remember going up against him, and it, it changed my perspective on that, on that collision, right? It literally, like, visually changed my perspective. I couldn't see right after that. Things were green and yellow after I hit him, and there were little stars and blinky things. Um, and, and so you can see there's, there's positives and negatives to a collision. That's kind of what I was trying to paint for you. There are these beautiful experiences. You're like, oh, that was awesome. It was messy, but it was great. You know, I was a six-year-old, and I smashed into this other kid, and we just did it for hours in the front yard. And then I got older, and it became a concussion, right? It was more painful. It was a harder experience. What I want you to understand is there can be painful and awesome experiences that are collisions, uh, that are these messy experiences in our life. And for a lot of you, I know neither one of those illustrations sounded good, right? Both of them sounded horrible. You're like, why would you run into another human? So just think about it this way. That there's all of us, no matter what walk of life we are in, there's some kind of collision that we're, we're willing to run headlong into that maybe other people aren't, right? So uh, think about like problem solving. I mean, you may be like an analytical thinker. Maybe you're great at math. Maybe you're an accountant. And you're willing to just run headlong into a kind of problem that other people wouldn't even want to get near, right? Because of your gifts, because of the way that God has wired you, There are collisions in your life. There are confrontations that you are just willing to run headlong into. And it varies from person to person. What the scripture is challenging us to is a very specific kind of collision of bringing our day-to-day reality, the emotions, the ups and downs of what we struggle with, who we are, and to bring that into the presence of God. And as I said earlier, this is a It's a fractal, which is, you know, it looks small the same way as it looks big, right? So just me and God, the same thing is happening as what we do corporately in worship. We gather as a people into a room and we sing praises to God. We sing laments to God. We say, God, where are you? We say, God, you're awesome. We say, God, we're sinners. We need your help. And we're colliding our reality with the truth of who God is. And so the Psalms are going to challenge us to do that. And Psalm 1 specifically demonstrates this kind of uh, collision again and again. And the first collision that we see in Psalm chapter 1 is just in the first verse, and it's a collision of lifestyle choices. In Psalm 1 verse 1, it sets up these two roads. And this is really a a thing that Near Eastern literature does again and again. It, It just offers wisdom as a path. It's this illustration of you can go down this road, the road of wisdom, Or you can go down this road, the road of foolishness. So when we studied Proverbs and biblical wisdom a couple of years ago, we started with Psalm 1 again as this gatekeeper into biblical wisdom. Which road are you going to go down? And so there's this collision we have of I can live this way or I can live that way. There's two choices. And it says in Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man, and literally happy, 
pleased, happy. Things are good for this man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Two observations here. One is uh, that the grammar, people that know more about Hebrew grammar than me, tell me that this is a nomic perfect, which means that this is an ongoing practice. It's something that keeps happening, the verb here. So when you see the verb uh, walking, when you see the word standing, when you see the word sitting, the verb indicates that it's ongoing. It's not just a one-time event, like, oh, I stumbled, I did something stupid. No, it's saying um, ongoing. Don't, don't go there. Don't live there. Don't continue that. Don't practice that. The, the other thing that we can observe here is there's an intensification. Uh, most uh, scholars that study this would say that there's an intensification of you start off just kind of wandering down that path, right? You start off just walking down the path. I have a picture here of two paths that these children are walking up to, and they can choose the path on the right or the path on the left. And so here in Psalm 1-1, it's saying uh, that you're blessed if you don't walk that way. And then there's an intensification where it says, nor stand in the way. And then it goes even farther and says, nor sit in the seat. So the idea is first you start walking that way, and then you start like standing around and hanging out with the wicked, right? And then you're sitting in the seat of the wicked. And just kind of a, a, uh, kind of a cultural disconnect here is when the word seat is used in, in ancient literature, Hebrew literature, Near Eastern literature, they didn't have chairs everywhere like we do, right? It, not every family had a million chairs like we do in our modern world. A, a chair was a, a formal thing. Uh, so when it talks about a seat, it's usually uh, the connotation of judgment or the elders of the city or a king, right? So there's this idea of going from you're walking down the path of wickedness, you're kind of going this way to you're standing, you're hanging out with wickedness to you're actually sitting in that seat of wickedness. The specific word it uses here is sitting in the seat of the scoffers. And I think we need to be very aware of the danger of scoffing, the danger of skepticism. It's a, it's a heart that sneers and says, there, there can't be anything good. It's a heart that teaches us to not hope in God. And again and again, the Bible warns us from that heart posture. The Bible invites us to hoping in God. The Bible invites us to trust him. The serpent in Genesis chapter 3 invites us to not trust God. To say, God is holding out on you. He doesn't want your good. You'd be better off living without him. The Bible invites us to trust him. Say, no, he is good. Walking with him is the right way. I, I need him. I need him in my life. And so we're presented with a lifestyle choice here. And what I want you to understand is... Um, you become wise as you make these lifestyle choices, but you also are enabled to make good lifestyle choices as you become wise. And so it's, it's a whole matrix. These things all work together. And when it's uh, placed out here for us at the beginning of the Psalms, it's kind of laying it out and saying, we're inviting you into this way of life where you honestly, honestly admit who you are. You bring your emotions to God. You wrestle with the truth of who he is, what he's revealed in his word, and what he's doing among his people. It's this, this doorway, inviting us into this kind of lifestyle. And we learned in 1 John, it's not a lifestyle of perfection in the sense of you never sin. It's a lifestyle of getting back up, confessing your sin, 
and walking with God again. Not sitting in the seat of the scoffers. Not hanging out in that way. Not continuing to go down that road, continuing again and again, but repenting and turning and taking the path of wisdom. What the gospel promises is is not that if we walk with Christ, we'll never make a mistake again. The gospel invites us to be confessing people that continue to stumble, but continue to trust Jesus and walk in newness because of what Jesus has done for us. Forgiving us for our sins, taking our sins upon himself on the cross and giving us his righteousness. That's the way of the righteous. Not a people who never make mistakes, but a people who continue to bring their stuff to God, wrestle with him, hope in him, and walk with him. And so the first collision is a lifestyle choice. Derek Kidner says this. He's a commentator. And I have books on the Psalms up here if y'all are interested in just looking at commentaries and you want to understand more about the Psalms. Uh, kind of put the more complex ones in the back and the simpler ones up front. Um, but Derek Kidner is a famous author that writes about the Psalms. He says, The scoffers, if not the most scandalous of sinners, are the farthest from repentance. And so I just want to warn you of scoffing. I want to encourage you, and I say this to myself, I tend to be skeptical. I tend to have a heart that thinks it's too cool to hope. And the scripture says, don't go there. Hope in God. Trust him. Don't be a scoffer, but trust him. And that's the invitation at the beginning of the Psalms. The the next thing that we see, the next collision that we see here is a collision of emotional habits. There's different kinds of emotional habits offered to us in the world. Um, If you're a scoffer, uh, you can be offered the emotional habit of stuffing your emotions, denying your emotions. But I think in the scriptures here, and specifically here in Psalm 1, we're invited to be honest about our emotions and have emotions that are directed to God. It says this in uh, verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. So the contrast with those who walk in the way of the wicked, the contrast is uh, the righteous man says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The first thing that we have to understand if we want to understand right uh, emotional habits is that the law of the Lord is a general term. It's the, the Hebrew word Torah, and it means instruction. It means direction, God telling you what to do. And so if you've studied the New Testament a lot, uh, especially if, if, you're, if you read Romans, you read Galatians, you may understand that Paul makes it very clear that we're not saved by works of the law, but we're saved by the works of Jesus. And so sometimes people that have spent a lot of time just in Paul's letters in the New Testament, you can have a negative connotation in your mind with law. But law here is a general uh, concept of the declarations of God, uh, the word of God. A God who speaks into our life. And so we need to make sure we understand that. And if you read the whole, Testament, the whole New Testament, you can kind of see that distinction made. Uh, that, that law, as far as the Old Testament and the Mosaic Covenant, is not something we can fulfill perfectly and save ourselves. We're all sinners that need the substitution of Jesus. But law is good, right? Fulfilling the law is something that we should do. And we saw that in 1 John. So here he's talking generally. He's saying... Just the word of God, that should be something that we delight in. We should want God to speak to us. And that's the first healthy emotional habit that we need to collide with, that we need to long for his word. He uses this word delight. We need to, we need to want it. It's an emotional word. Our heart needs to long for God's word. And then the second word that's really interesting here that he pairs with God's word is, and on his law, he meditates day and night. We looked at this a couple of years ago when we looked at the Proverbs, but this 
word meditate is the Hebrew word uh, chagah or chageh, depending on the form. And that word literally means something more like uh, groaning or muttering. And so we need to be careful not to hear the modern understanding of meditate as um, sometimes you might imagine someone just kind of like with their eyes closed, right? Their hands out like this, kind of like uh, maybe Buddhist meditation. And they're just like repeating a word over and over again in their mind. The idea of that kind of Eastern meditation is to detach from reality. But this word of meditation is you're muttering and groaning and struggling over God's word. You're saying it. The word is often translated in the Psalms for when you're speaking God's word, right? When you're saying it or shouting it or or groaning it out loud. The same Hebrew word is also used for animals. It's the sound that animals make. It's the word of a growling lion or a purring kitten or a cooing dove. So it's this moaning sound. I have a picture here of a dove. I was thinking, in my mind, we'll take a little vote here. Do you think of the the cooing of a dove as kind of a melancholy sound, or do you think of it as like a chipper happy sound? Take a vote. Do you think melancholy? Raise your hand. Okay, what if you, how many of you think of it as like a happy sound? Some of you. Okay, now y'all are hunters, right? You think of it as a happy sound? Y'all the ones that you've been hunting? It's dove season? Okay. I think of it as kind of a mournful kind of moaning sound, but as I said, in other places too, we see the same idea. It's this kind of grunting type idea. It's uttering. It's, it's making noises. And it's important for us to understand that the Psalms are calling us to, to do something with God's word, not merely hear it. And, and so we want to not disconnect our minds from our bodies. And that's one of the beautiful things about worship. It's one of the beautiful things about living in community, right? So 1 John 1, uh, 8 and 9 talks about not lying about our sin, but confessing our sin and that God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And so that's the difference between a, someone who hides their sin and lies about it and a confessor, is if we confess our sin, God saves us. He cleanses us. But if we let it stop there, we can think of it as just a mental exchange, right? Just between us and God. But the Bible continues to press us to actually say it out loud, right? Like Romans 10.9 says to uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And James 5.18 says not to just confess our sins to the Lord privately, but to confess our sins one to another and pray for each other that we may be healed. And so there's this concept that we're supposed to do something with God's word. We're not to just listen to it, right? We're not to just hear it, but we are to speak it. We are to utter it. And I think another beautiful, beautiful application of this is that the Psalms is a book of beauty. This is objectively... Uh, well-written poetry that's well-crafted. The book by Robert Alter here, he's a Jewish scholar that studies it from like a linguistic and a literary standpoint. It's just really good poetry. It's well-written and it's gorgeous. And God cares about beauty. And when we sing songs here, we want them to be good songs. We want them to sound nice. And beauty is good and beauty is important. And I think King David cared about beauty. He hired thousands of musicians to uh, lead worship and to play music. And so, you know, King David got the whole arena rock worship thing going back then, you know, back before Christ. And we still want to play loud music. We want to play good music. We want to have a good sound system. Beauty is good. We want to have language that's precise and theologically correct. All those things are true. And all of those kinds of things are hinted at in Scripture. But here, in verse 2, he's saying, you don't have to be a poet 
to do this. You don't have to be a theologian to do this. You don't even have to be able to carry a tune to do this, right? He's saying just groan God's word out to him. Just mutter God's word back to him. That's what he's asking us to do. So this is something any of us can do, right? We're not all poets. We're not all musicians. We're not all theologians. We don't, we don't necessarily have the ability to craft our words beautifully and pray perfect prayers. He's telling us to just groan his word back to him. That's, that's the challenge. That is something that all of us can do, and that's what I want to challenge us with going forward. Healthy emotional habits are emotionally crying out to God, his own word back to him, bringing it back to him. And another application, this is his word. This is his word, the Bible, and the Psalms specifically. It challenges us, sing back to me, say it back to me, utter it back to me, mutter it back to me. And that's what it means when it says meditate day and night that we are going to be the people that are constantly groaning God's word back to him. We're saying it, we're groaning it, we're muttering it. In Romans 8, it says the spirit helps us to uh, pray and that it's when we don't even have the words. There are these groanings that words can't express that the spirit intercedes for us and helps us to communicate with God. That's what the Psalms are calling on us to do. So I want you to understand that, that when you come together with the congregation of God's people, We'd like it if you could sing on tune, but that's not, that's not the bottom line, right? I mean, the bottom line is just saying God's word to him, saying it back to him, shouting it out, bodily and emotionally declaring to God what truth is and what he says about reality. I think we really need to uh, pay attention to the idea of being emotionally honest here. A lot of us in the West, we were trained to uh, edit our emotions before they ever come out, right? I'm not going to take a vote on this one, but I know at least half of you, that's just the way you were raised, right? If you ever got upset as a child, you were told, don't be upset. You are not allowed to express emotion. The God of the universe is saying, honestly, express your emotion to me. Honestly, express your emotion to me. Be real with me. Let me understand who you are. Let me hear what you're struggling with. An evidence of that is the most common form of psalm is a lament. Y'all know what a lament is? A lament is, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, when are you going to save me? God, why is this still happening to me? That's the most common form of psalm. And so for those of you that are emotionally melancholy, we'll we'll take a vote on this. Um, Pessimists versus optimists, all right? How many of you would say, I'll do optimists first because you're optimists. How many of you would say you're an optimist? Okay, all right. How many of you would say you're a pessimist? I'm with the pessimists. You're my people. Thank you. All right. Well, pessimists, be encouraged. The most common form of psalm is lament. It's the melancholy form. That's the most common form. But optimists, be encouraged. There's always a happy ending. There's always a happy ending. The psalms are calling us to have that collision. Optimists and pessimists. Optimists, to be honest about how bad things really are, and pessimists to work your way to the happy ending in Jesus. That's what the psalm's calling us to do. There's only one psalm that doesn't have a happy ending. It it ends with darkness is my only friend. That's like the one moody, artistic one, right, that just kind of stays in that dark place. But it's in the context of all these other happy ending books in the happy ending book of the universe, right? Jesus wins. That's the point of the story. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, no matter... Where you come from, the, the Psalms are challenging you to, to collide with God, with who he is, what he has to say about reality. 
the last thing that we want to see is that there's a collision here with the broken world. Again and again, we're going to talk about creation in the Psalms. We're going to see this thing come up and up uh, again and again. We're going to kind of have two postures. One posture is creation's beautiful. It's glorious, right? You've seen the Grand Canyon. You can't help but praise God. You see this beautiful sunset. You can't help but praise God. As soon as it stops being 100 degrees and there's a cool breeze outside, we're just going to praise God. We're just going to say, God, thank you for this beautiful breeze, right? And that's our natural response to the glories of God's creation. He is the creator. He's made it, and that is how we should respond to it. The other thing that you'll see in the Psalms is a reaction to the brokenness of the world. And so Christianity, Jesus Christ, the Psalms make sense of the glories of a beautiful creation and a creator and the brokenness of this world. And so we honestly collide where we say, God, why isn't it working? Like, why am I sick? Why am I struggling? Why does this pain continue to go on? Because we know it's supposed to be better than that. We know that. We see the glory of creation. We see the hints of the way things are supposed to be. But we also live in the brokenness of the way things are. And the Psalms are going to honestly bring those two things together again and again. And that's a part of the collision that we want to uh, take part in as well. I think we see this illustrated in the last few verses here. We see this illustrated in the ideas of you can either have a life that is prosperous in this broken world, or you can have a life that is just part of the brokenness. Right? Do you want your life to just add to the brokenness to be one more waste? Or do you want your life to make a difference, to count, to have eternal significance? And again, it's two ways that are offered. In verse 3, it says, He, the one who delights in God and his word, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't the promise that um, things will always work in this world. It's an eternal perspective. And we'll see that, again, worked out throughout different psalms, hashed out. Why do the wicked seem to be succeeding? And the psalmist will say, but I know in the end, the righteous will have success. So we believe our prosperity is our hope of heaven, where God will make all things right. We may enjoy some prosperity now, but the Apostle Paul says that the prosperity we enjoy now is for the benefit of others, as we look forward to the future permanent prosperity of everything being fixed. And so those who trust in the Lord, it's like we have roots going down into the water that no one can see. The invisible presence of something sustaining us. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. But it says in verse 4, this is contrasted with the wicked. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the husk that goes around wheat. So the the actual fruit, the grain of wheat, uh, you know, is this little kernel. And that's the good part, you know, that you can make food out of. And there's a wrapper basically around it, a husk. It's called chaff. And so if you're what they call threshing wheat, you're dividing the trash from the good part of the wheat. And they would thresh it on, with these forks. They throw it up in the, in the air, and the wind blows and separates it. I have another picture here of a woman blowing on a bowl of wheat. So you see the little papery parts blow away, and the substantial part is heavy, and it stays down. And so there's this contrast biblically that's played out in a lot of other places, scripturally, a lot of other images. But we'll stick with this image. The contrast is there's a substantialness to the righteous and there's kind of a fleeting fluff to the wicked. 
The idea is your, your life can be one that is food, that is life-giving, that is substantial, that is weighty, or your life can just be one more piece of trash that blows away. It can be a part of the brokenness of this world. And so as we live honestly with God and bring our stuff before God, as we wrestle with God in the Psalms, you'll see the psalmists, and, and we'll follow their lead, wrestling with God, saying, God, why are things this way? But okay, I, I trust in you. I trust that you're going to help me to be eternally prosperous, that there will be success in you, that my life will count, that there is meaning beyond just the here and now. And as we walk in his righteousness and trust him, he'll give us a weight so that we don't, we're not just like the fluff that blows away. We're not just like the trash that blows down the street. We'll have a life that counts. It's not a wasted life. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Verse 5 Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's the most beautiful promise at the end of it there. It says, God knows the way of the righteous. And again, it's not this Western intellectual like, he knows about us. No, scripturally, is intimate knowledge. He's intimately acquainted with us. He loves us. He's close to us. That's the promise of Scripture that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is close to us. He's with us. But the way of the wicked will perish, disintegrate, fall apart. It's not, it's not going anywhere. Again and again in the Psalms, we'll see the psalmist, psalmist wrestling with that, just like we do. Honestly wrestling. God, it seems like it makes a whole lot more sense to live for pleasure now. God, it seems like the wicked prosper now. God, it seems like everything's working out better for the wicked. And as we bring those, those honest confessions to God, we honestly talk to him about that, he'll realign us and help us to see the truth of having a life that counts, a life that's weighty as we trust him and walk with him. Let me pray for us and we'll finish there. God, we thank you for the truth that you give us in the Psalms. We thank you that you offer us a life that counts. And I pray for us, God, as we move forward, that we would be willing uh, to collide with who you are that we'd be willing, God, to honestly share who we are with you and listen to what you have to say, that we would groan your word back to you as we struggle to hope in you, the God of grace, the God who gives us life through Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll be up front here, and you are dismissed. Thank you.